podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. Hi folks, Tino here with the Final Whistle Show on a Saturday where Celtic go four clear at the top of the table following a dramatic 4-3 win over Hearts at Tynecastle. I'm joined here for this one by Greg Taylor, super fan Muff. Muff, where do you start with that one today? Hello Tino, hello dear listeners. Oh, I'm, I'm in feisty mood tonight, Tino, I'm in feisty mood tonight. I've watched Spiky. Greg Taylor score the winner at uh, Dice in a seven-goal thriller and then I've, uh, I've been to uh, the... Did I say Tynecastle? You said Tannadice. Did I say Tannadice? Oh, I'm, I'm very... Did I say Tannadice? I'm at Tynecastle. But I've also, well, I've also seen... I went to the SWA wrestling show the night at the Civic and I saw Fandango. So I'm feeling I'm feeling a wee bit, you know, a wee bit hyped up. So please, I apologise for my faux pas there early doors. But, eh, uh, oh, what a day. What a day. Yeah, a big day of competitive sport for you, Miff, between the Fitba and the wrestling. So... The wrestling's for another show, so we'll we'll focus fully on the football for this one. Um, let's start at the start. So lots to get through on this one. Um, but in terms of the starting lineup, so Andrew's mixed up in the fullback areas once again. He's brought back in Ralston and Burnaby for Juranovic and Taylor. Up top, as many suspected, he's gone for Jackamakis instead of Kyogo. And in the wings, James Forrest and Dyes Maeda started in place of Haksavanovic and Abada. What was your initial reaction, Miff, on hearing the lineup? Um I, I thought I thought it was fairly bold, to be honest. Um, bold in a sense, just in the, the midfield three more than anything else. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing about Ange and, and the team in general: they they have a fair set of cojones on them. Um, but I think that's why why we love them so much. Um, certainly domestically, in, in the face of adversity, they seem to really thrive on it. Uh, physical presence. So Ralston and and, and Jack and Marcus make sense. I think when you go to Ten Castle, you know it's got to be physical. Um, and, and I would say, based on today's performance, that's where, <clears throat> and we'll, we'll touch on this in, in more detail, uh, on Aaron Moy, um, again, another case of more good than bad, the bad being the sitter, really, because I think other than that, he was he was, he was pretty pretty steady. Um, but again, another game where I think, he, he again, it was his best game again today. I think his involvement overall was, was excellent. Um, his, his linking of the play was really good. But that sitter, I mean, you know, I know, um, I know you must have been sitting there thinking, "Miff's got to give me pelters for that." When you you were you were obviously thinking that when he missed that. But overall, I think you know you could argue he got the team selection right, and he got the team selection wrong because the changes had such a major impact in the game. But my first thought was it was quite bold. Um, but I was I was happy enough if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I thought it was bold from the point of view that Andrews decided on no Kyogo, no Haksabanovic, no Abada. We already knew that Jota was out the team through injury. And that's a, a lot of creativity to take out the team, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, however, I would say based on the the work rate, I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, away games, um, tough away games that both Maeda and Jack and Marcus play in those games um, for, for slightly different reasons, but work rate related reasons defensively and the defensive shape that they allow you to hold. I think with, with Jack and Marcus... <clears throat> Excuse me. He seems um, he seems to be becoming a bit an easy target for a soft foul. I think all a defender has to do is fall whenever he's in their presence, and a foul is immediately given. And there was so many times today when he was just brushing against players, and they were fought, and none more so than than uh, Ralston's phantom goal. Um, it seems to be that any contact on him is fair game, but any contact that he dishes out is, is immediately punishable by a foul. It just again, I don't think. I don't think the attacking and defending has been refereed to the same standard. And again, another point that I think we'll go, go to touch on when we go later. But um, Jack and Marcus Maeda, for me, uh, both justified their starting berths by the shift that they put, put in. Yeah, and I think what Ange's done, he's, he's effectively played the conditions there. He's picked the team based on you know the circumstances today specifically and, and going to Tynecastle and the kind of game that was going to be. I think from a fan point of view, you're always a wee bit disappointed when your, your flair players aren't around. So whether that's Kyogo, I mentioned Jota, Haxabana, which has been pretty exciting recently. Abada got his two goals during the week. 
But I suppose when you see the lineup, you say, okay, we're set up for the battle here. And that's what it certainly was at times. You know, it was a bit blood and thunder at the best of times and lots of physicality. And from that point of view, you're always pretty pleased to have a Ralston in the mix, uh, a Jack Amakis, absolutely, and Maeda for his industry. So, yeah, over the piece, although it was fraught at times, I think Andrew's proven right with his lineup. So let's get to the first goal, Miff. Um, James A. Forrest scored his 100th goal for the club last Saturday and made it 101 today. He was reacting, or he reacted, sorry, sharpest in the box to nod home the opener. Um, I heard about that, though. It was really good link-up play from Hatati and Ralston. It certainly was. And, um, you know, I think it's fair to say Hearts, Hearts had been quite busy uh, first few moments of the game. The usual that you expect for them to try to press you high up. They, they had their game plan. Um, however, I think what today did show was in, in, in the moments where we did become becalmed and find a wee half yard of space, especially for Rio Hitati. Out of everyone in the park, I thought he looked, you know, the one who looked most calm on the ball, even when he had the least time on it, if that makes sense. I know that that might be a wee, a wee mythism that I'm putting in there, Tino. But um, he was able to find that wee half yard more than anybody else, I think, on the park. If I compare him with somebody like Matt O'Reilly, for example, I thought O'Reilly was very wasteful in possession today, almost a bit panicky at times. Um, not something we became accustomed from him, if I'm being honest. But um, Hitati just looked again, yet again, to be like he was playing a different game from everyone else. And as a result of that, he he sees things happening very quickly, quicker than anyone else in the park, and certainly quicker than the Hearts defence today. The way that he just fed in Ralston, and, and great credit to Ralston, who made the run beyond Moy, who had also got into the box to support. Um, and again, it's just that desire to keep the ball in play, keep the ball alive. Um, Craig Gordon decided... You know, he's getting on now a wee bit, go for a wee lie down. And then um, the ball's very, very kindly broken to broken to um uh, James Forrest in the box, who's just reacted and nodded in. And and it's classic James Forrest, he brings himself in off the wing, he gets himself in the box, he scores goals, you know, that there are Celtic fans out there that can't take to him, as, as bizarre as that might sound. Um but but certainly for me, you know, James Forrest in those games, I think he's scoring record that Tanadice is pretty solid over the years. Um so, you know, the type of game that, that he thrives on. And um, also, I'll uh, get it right up here to his brother. <laughs> yeah. Matthew, you've gone and called it Tannadice again. I don't know if you, you've been on the Kansas Super this Tannadice? afternoon. Have I? I've been on the Super Bowl. I can't blame him. Ah, sorry. Maybe leave the other half till, till tomorrow night. But um, you've made some really good points in Hatati. I just think Hatati. He, he, he just plays on a different plane. He's just a, a very gifted, a very technically gifted footballer. And he's, he does, he sees things that other players don't see. He loves that reverse pass. The one that he played into Ralston for the first goal, he done it to create another goal very recently. I can't quite remember which one, but in the last couple of weeks, he's just got that in his locker. Did you see him doing his, his warm-up pre-match? Have you seen all this, the kind of Tai Chi movement he does? Aye, aye. Yep. Yep, with the knee up. Yeah. I've been trying it for the last three, four weeks at the fives. It does not work. I don't know what he's getting from it, but it, it's doing nothing for me. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think the the um, the implementation of these Tai Chi stretches are going to help with the old fit of my brain. You know, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you. I think you're either born with that or you're not. But um, you've either you've either got ah, it. you've either you've either got it. You've not. But I, I think with, with Hattie, um Ten Castle would be somewhere that you know. Maybe we wouldn't be fearful of going to, but somewhere that, that does cause a bit of consternation. I did say Ten Castle there, I did. You did, I. You did. Get um, a bit of consternation amongst the you know the support or the or the players. I think the more I see Hitati, it seems to be these environments that he thrives in. You know, particularly that's his second particularly good performance there. Um, the, I just think we have a really really special player, and I yet again go on record the saying that boy can be as good as he wants to be because I. I I really don't think there's a limit to his ability. I think he's way beyond SPL or SPFL um, football. I, I think he he we're, we're looking at a genuine superstar here. I still think he plays within himself at times. That that excellent move we had in the first half, I thought he could have hit that first time. He's tried to take a touch and mm -hmm. he, I think it may have been Kingsley to get, get back in and, and defend. That was an outstanding move, by the way. Um, but Again, created by Hitati's just ability to drift into spaces where other teams don't want him to go. Yeah, he's a frightening talent and I think he's one of those guys where let's enjoy him while we've got him because he's got the potential to kick on, I think, another few levels. But let's hope that these guys are are enjoying being part of something special and, and being part of addressing room, which is, is also going places and hopefully they can, 
you know, meet their own footballing targets, at least for the, the medium term while they're part of this Celtic dressing room. But great to see Hatati having another solid performance. So, Muff, the VAR show really begins in earnest just before half time. So, Hearts were forced into a change just short of 40 minutes, I think it was, with Humphreys going off injured and Lauren Shanklin coming in. Uh, and he obviously went on to play a big part in the game. So, the first big VAR call against Celtic. It's not going to be the last, by the way. Um, Carter Vickers deemed to have fouled Cammy Devlin in the box. Penalty for you? Uh, I, I didn't really see much debate about the penalty. I thought I thought in real time, oh, that's a penalty. Hmm. Um, the referee's standing five yards away from it. I don't see why it necessitated a very painful, you know, three, four, five minutes or however long it took to get to that, um, you know, we, we know that, that, that it's Stephen McLean sitting in the VAR room and based on last week's refereeing performance uh, it comes as no shock to me that he was unable or paralysed enough to, to just say that's a penalty and that, that's the gripe that a lot of fans have got you know whether you, you're for VAR or against one of the big uh, downsides of it is the time it's taken listen if you get the decision right ultimately that's that's the main thing but if it's taking three, four, five minutes and killing the buzz around the stadium, then that, that can't be a good thing for, for the spectacle of football and for the entertainment, you know, alone. Um, I do think it was the right call. I think it was a foul, but I'm the same as you. In real time, I thought it was a foul. And Nick Walsh is far closer than anyone else. So why he couldn't just call it? I wonder, Miff, just with the, the spotlight being on, particularly this weekend, I suppose, do you think referees are just so scared at this moment, almost paralysed to make a call and, and they're becoming or they will become so reliant on their backup referees. Possibly. And, and in fairness to Nielsen, that was the point Nielsen made after the game. He's like, ah, we still need the referees to make decisions, not to wait to be proven right or wrong by the decisions. They have to still go with their gut. He's like, our two penalties were the same today. One's given, one's not. He's like, that's the inconsistency we're talking about. And if you're being completely fair, you know, regardless of the fact that he's got a very, very painfully thin hairline, he's right there. He is right there, and I just wonder if if referees are starting to become nothing more than placeholders, almost. You know, they're, they're in there kind of carrying out a, a function, but they're not actually willing or brave enough to make the big calls because they know that the, the safety net of VAR will catch that and, and they just let things run. So, listen, I suppose what I would say in terms of giving some benefit of the doubt is this is the very first weekend using VAR for some of these guys, so it may take them a bit of getting used to it. Although I think I'm going to be a bit kind and, and we'll get to that in just a, a, a wee moment. Just to take your point, Tino, mm-hmm. um, prior to the penalty, was, was Ralston's header not disallowed prior to the penalty? Should yeah, I think know? it was. Yep. Um, which again, I feel, I think that was Walsh himself not allowing things to play out, forgetting, almost forgetting that VAR was there. You know, And again, I think that goes back to the whole Giacomacchus thing. And he saw, if you look at what's happened, the Hearts player has done to Giacomacchus exactly what Giacomacchus has done to Hearts player. He's deemed that a foul to Hearts, which is an absolute nonsense. He's not let the game run. Um, it looked to me like Walsh was mouthing offside. Right. Um, to to yeah, the VAR room, as he was talking about why he's disallowed, I'm, I'm assuming as to why he's disallowed the goal. Why he does not try to, why he just wandered into an offside position, not try to get involved in the goal, and then Ralston's buried the header. So, um, I think that was the first instance that VAR went against Celtic. I, I really believe that goal should have stood. Yeah, I think I suppose it's a lack of transparency, isn't it? Because you don't actually know if VAR properly got involved there or not. If you just look at Tony Ralston's involvement in isolation, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong. He he comes from an onside position, diving header, great finish. It's what's deemed to have gone on before it with there's a wee bit of contact between Jack and Marcus and one or two of the defenders, but not enough to make them go down. And Walsh is very quick to blow at that point. Or maybe that is the time you let the play run and decide, you know, after the event if that's worthy of a goal or not. But I don't know. I think maybe everybody's getting used to it and that might be what's going on there. Um, coming back to the game, so I, as mentioned, penalties given, no great complaints eventually. Uh, Carter Vickers deemed to have filled Cammy Devlin. Shacklin fires it down the middle. And at that point, for all of your first half efforts, we go in one each at half time. But you're thinking there's a lifeline because Celtic have their own. Huge far call just a couple of minutes after. What's your take on the Michael Smith handball? Um, it's generally a telltale sign if a player tries to hide his hand behind the ball that he knows he's deliberately handled the ball. 
that's just human instinct. Um, I think we should put out a wee invitation to Stephen McLean to come on to the podcast and explain his decision. That would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt we'd get taken up on it. He is a rank incompetent official. Yeah. I'm not going to get drawn into the whole bias, cheating, whatever. Stephen McLean has sat, looked at that, and said that is not a penalty. He's even went as far to deem that as not even worth reviewing by the on-field referee. For me, he should never, ever be in charge of another top flight game again. In fact, any game, because I don't, I don't think he's any use to MD. Yeah. How? I, 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 and, and again. You can call it whatever you want. I watched McLean refereeing last week. Celtic won the game 6-1. I've no, I've no skin in the game as far as McLean's concerned. I, I, I particularly don't care. He, he, he gave a foul for a Celtic player beating somebody. I, I've never seen the likes of it in my life. So that same guy has sat in a VAR room with that responsibility, took five minutes to decide a penalty is a penalty. But even at that, he's not really he's told the, the on-field ref to go and look at it. But then for that offence, has decided it's not worth it. I'll just tell you, it's not a penalty. So where's the consistency there? Immediately, That's... both teams have been refereed to a different standard. On the one hand, you know, Hearts, are, it's almost like, well, Hearts, these are the pocket underdogs, so we'll try and look at a way, can I make sure he's getting the decision? On the other hand, that is Celtic. Well, that doesn't really matter, you know, Celtic have a big cheese, so who cares? Well, we care. And it, now is the time when we're winning games. You said it last week, Tino, and I, and I I believe you're absolutely spot on. Now is the time to be raising this because when we get beat, it's sour grapes. When we're winning, absolutely not. Should we be accepting these decisions? Not at all. Mm. And Ange isn't one. We've known Ange long enough now and he has never wanted to bemoan refereeing decisions. But you've seen his his own expression when the the decision was made not to award a penalty. He could not believe it. You know, he had the head in the hands and he just couldn't get his head around what was going on. And you're right, Muffet. You know, it seems to be different standards are applied there because at the very least, Stephen McLean, listen, he might be within within his rights to say, do you know what, Nick? I don't think it's a penalty, but maybe you should look at the screen and make your own mind up on that. At least consider it. Do you know what I mean? Just to you know, give everyone a fair crack at the whip there. So from Nick Walsh's point of view there, if we've been really fair, it's the VAR official that's let him down there. If he's got somebody in his earpiece saying, nah, it's, it's nothing to worry about, Nick, as you were, then, you know, he's probably under instruction to go with that. Absolutely, and again, bear in mind at that time it was about one in the back of one. He's maybe waiting the team news coming out for maybe elsewhere in the country at that point in time. So, uh, listen, the, the bottom line for me is McLean has presided over very, very poor decisions two weeks in a row. Um, thankfully, from Celtic's point of view, they haven't influenced the result. What they have done, though, is expose his apparent lack of awareness of the rules of the game of football which, for a top-flight referee in Scotland, is a huge concern. Yeah, and you know, strong word there, Miff, but I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there, and, and I think lots of folk have, I think lots of folk could not believe that the week following such a poor performance by Steve McLean, he gets given Celtic's very first far game in Scotland. So, a, a real puzzler at times, and, and don't worry, there's more to come second half. So, get into that second half, so obviously... You know, for all Celtic's good stuff, and, and there was plenty of good stuff in the first half. We go in one each at half time, and then in the second half, it was obviously Hearts that started the ascendancy. And so, a couple of minutes in, and, and Shanklin gets his second goal of the game. Um, it looked onside to me. I don't have a problem with it. You know, when we've seen the lines and all that kind of stuff for VAR, it looked onside. But I thought Bernabe could have done a lot better in the build up in terms of stopping the cross. And I also thought Carter Vickers could have done better in terms of getting across uh, to block the shot from Shanklin. Yeah, I thought Bernard Bay had a really poor game today. Um, very wasteful in possession. Uh, first half, I think he gave the ball away four times in a row when he had it. Um, hopefully putting an end to the whole uh, debate around who should be the starting left back for me. And not just because he scored today. For me, Craig Taylor is well ahead of uh, Bernard Bay in, in terms of credit in the bank for starting games for, for Celtic. Um, however, Bernard Bay is still getting used to the league. There is a huge amount of talent in there. He's a very exciting player. Dare I say, I think he's wasted at left back. He should be playing a bit further forward. I think it's a classic case of a full-back that's a, a frustrated winger. Um, in Burnaby's case, I think he's much happier receiving the ball, knowing that he's got to be taking somebody on rather than try to play a pass to build the play out for the back. But that aside, yes, he's slow to get out. I don't think Burnaby has the same defensive 
sort of um, abilities as, as, as what Taylor has. And as a result, he's been slow to get out, but Carter Vickers makes the criminal mistake of letting his man get across him. As a centre-half, you just cannot let that happen. And as you know, Tino, having, having played the game yourself, as a centre-half, you have got carte blanche to hold your position. And that, you know, if the player is not goal side of you, you can you can make yourself big and make sure he doesn't get around you. But, but Shankland, to be fair, Shankland is a quality operator at SPL level. He scored many, many goals. I think when he came on and scored his penalty, that was his 150th career goal, I believe, according mm. to Ian Crocker. That, these are not stats to be sniffed at, regardless of what level you've played at. Um, Shankland is, um, you know, Shankland is a goal scorer and his goal scoring instincts were, were, were on display there. But, a hugely avoidable goal as far as Celtic are concerned. And the timing of the concession of the goal was a killer, you know, just before half time, just after half time. And you think to yourself, I mean, my, my day was nearly wasted at that point. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. Things were being kicked around the living room at that point. <laughs> uh, you're right, you know, there's no good time to lose a goal, um, but certainly just before and just after half time. And again, when you've got fairly good control and in the blink of an eye, you find yourself 2-1 down. And as you say, a very avoidable goal. You know, individuals could have done better. And and I think you're spawning with Bernabe. He's exciting. He's got something to offer. And he will offer lots going forward. But not just the the choice at left back just yet. Um, Jack Amakis, obviously, it's a big call, as we mentioned, for Ange to, to give him the nod. And he's fully justified that with the, the equaliser around about the 55th minute. So it's a very good delivery from Moy from the corner. And Jack Amakis, his movement's excellent. He just kind of harries himself and bundles a few guys, you know, out his road. And he diverts it really powerfully into a really good area. Yeah, listen, you sign a centre-forward, that's exactly the type of goal that you're wanting to score. Um, it's important for Celtic still to pick up goals to set pieces. You know, we, we're, we're great at the intricate play, but we can't just solo the line that. We have to be good at set pieces at both ends of the pitch. And an excellent delivery for Moy. And, and I think Moy's shown you know, over time that, that his delivery can be relied upon. It's extremely consistent for the dead ball situation. Um, and if you are good at that and you're consistent at that, having a guy like Jack Amakis in the team must be an absolute joy because he is so hungry to attack those balls in the box. The desire he shows to get there, the leap. And and as far as the Jambos are concerned, you know, Robbie Nielsen said that they rattled Celtic today. I would be rattling the set-piece coach for not having him in the posts. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. I think as well, I, just as a fan, I love to see goals like that. You can see guy, you know, guys like Kyogo doing these, you know, intricate things and classy finishes and Jota and clipping things over goalies. And listen, I enjoy them almost as much. But you just love to see your your big centre forward battering a goal in at the Celtic end at Tynecastle, and it was it was great for Jack and Marcus. And I'm pleased for him because. He's been in and out and he's been a frustrated figure at times, but it was it was a goal which was typical of him and it obviously brings you right back into the game at that point. Um, obviously, it's just been a few minutes after. We've made it 3-2. Uh, this time it's Maeda, so I think Moy's done well again. He's he's made space to get the shot away, this time with his left foot from the edge of the box. And it's just reactions again. So same as James Forrest doing well for the first goal. Maeda's just quickest off the mark. Um, I think it was Michael Smith who's been caught on his heels. And yep. Maida just snaps into it to steer the ball into the net. And I was so pleased for him because you could you could see what it meant to him uh, in the way that he celebrated that one with the fans. Absolutely. And I, and I must say, Tino, I am absolutely uh, in awe of your ability just to completely skip over the moist sitter and move on to <laughs> Andy involvements in, in the goal. So, you know, I promise never, you, I promise you we're getting to it. Ne- never could we accuse uh, the Celtic Exchange podcast of being remotely biased in, in favour of any player. But yeah. as far as Maida goes... That that is pretty much why Maeda's in the team, and I know people sit there and say, you know, yourself, and I, and I think James, to be fair, would say, lacking technically, eh, he's probably not done much the past couple of games to back me up there. With me saying, no, I think he is technically quite able, but I think today you saw a game where, you know, he took the game to hearts at times. I think it's fair to say he, his reaction for the goal was just razor sharp, and he's you know. Uh, Michael Smith's got two yards on him when the, when the ball breaks. You know, you're thinking, oh no, I hope this isn't offside. Then you see the replay and you can't believe that he's, he's actually managed to get himself right, right in front of the Hearts defender. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then and then beats him, Craig Gordon to the ball and, and, and fires it into the net. And then and then subsequently, what you don't often see from Maida, Maida's normally a kind of jog back to the halfway line, high five 
a celebrator. He yeah. knew exactly what that meant today, and, and that for me is a key key point. But as far as Maida is concerned, you know, somebody that you, you've seen the clips for the video talking about Angie, Angie's very much a father figure to him. You've seen him, he's, his shoulders slumped in recent weeks, um, even previously before in celebrating goals, even when the team are celebrating, he'd maybe just jog back to the halfway line. He absolutely loved that today, and you know what? I'm all for it. If he's feeling that you know he knows he scored an important goal for Celtic, he's in with the fans. I just think that's that's what it's all about. That connection between the, the players and the fans is so important to Celtic. And if Maeda's starting to feel that now, I think that in itself will give him a wee bit added confidence and a wee bit added boost in his general all-round play. Yeah, I, I think I think you could just see the goal meant the world to him, and I think he'll he'll be sitting tonight pretty pleased with his, with his afternoon's work. And yeah, his shoulders have been slumped, but you could just see that there was a release when he scored that goal. He knew it was a big goal at a big time in a big game. And that moment that he had with the fans, that that will help him no end moving forward. And really pleased for him because I've been critical of him from a technical point of view. I do think he lacks some technical skills, but I've never, ever doubted him in terms of what he puts in, in terms of a shift in the industry and the application and the attitude and all those really positive attributes that he has. So delighted for a guy like that to get the goal. And listen, we always want our players to do well. You know, anytime we are critical of Maeda or anybody, it's only because you maybe see there's there's more to them and they can do better and it's maybe born out of frustration at times. But I think every Celtic fan would have been just so pleased for him at that moment. I think, I mean, Maeda, if you look at Maeda, you look at Abada, you look at Forrest, they, they would all be players who are capable of inconsistency. But there's a common theme there in the, in the three of them, I would say, are genuine wingers. that They're wide men. It's just something that comes... With, with wide players or players coming in from, from the wing, whatever way you want to term it. Um, the, the, there's a reason why those positions become interchangeable. I think Ange is very conscious of that. If you're relying one player over the course of a season, um, it, it's very hard that a winger's going to keep up their, their form for a whole season. They'll generally dip in and dip out. I think what Ange tends to do is just kind of give them wee breaks for the firing line. Just to keep them hungry. Um, as far as Maeda is concerned, I, I I believe when when he is confident, his his abilities, what, what he does for the team are, are, are unique. He can close down quicker than anyone else. You can see players think that they've got that extra half yard, which at that level means a world. He he deprives them of having that. You know, even if it's closing down keepers, hurrying clearances. The way that he plays off Giacomacchus as well. I, I'm a firm believer that Maeda plays his best football with Giacomacchus is playing nine. When Giacomacchus and Maeda seem to have a, just a better understanding than other combinations that are there. I've mentioned this before. Um, I think it goes back to Fir Park last year um, when, we, when we played there. So, listen, that, that, you'll get that with the evolution of the squad and the evolution of the playing style under Ange. You'll get that. There'll be wee partnerships in different different places that work. Look at Taylor and Jota, for example, certainly at a domestic level, one, one that's continued to evolve. Um, at times last season, Ralston and Kyogo, Ralston and uh, Abada. So th these things will develop over time. Um, and I, I would include Moy in that as well. Moy and Hattati seem to be a bit more um, comfortable linking up as well. So these are the things you're looking to see develop over time. Uh, Maeda, just for me, will remain such a critical part of what we do going forward. There's just no one else in the SPL like him. Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty unique character. Um, so, yeah, I definitely wasn't skipping by that Moy chance. Truth be told, I couldn't actually remember when it occurred, whether it was before we made it 3-2, whether it was after. It was a 2-1. Geez, I'm, I'm miles away. So let, let's get to it just now. So obviously it's quite a, a brave call in the midfield um, for Anstey Stickway O'Reilly in the six and continue with Maeda and Hatati up ahead. Of, sorry, Moy and Hatati up ahead of them, given what we know to expect Derek Tynecastle. Let's talk briefly about Matt O'Reilly first because you touched on it earlier on and I think there's no doubt he wasn't as effective today as he has been. And I was going to ask, what do you put that down to? For me, he's played a lot of football in that number six role very recently without much of a break. Quite a lot of guys have had you know, rests here and there. O'Reilly's played a lot of football in quite a short space of time. He has. And, um, you know, O'Reilly is undoubtedly a very talented player also very handsome but I think I just don't think he's suited to the number six whilst he has played well there I think that's just down to his class more than anything else that he's 
the type of player who, who can play there. I don't think that necessarily means that you do play him there. If you have somewhere else, say you had signed, you know, maybe a big Danish guy to play there, you could maybe play him there. So, uh, yeah, just, I think Ariel just been a victim of his own, uh, his own ability to slot in, his own versatility. Uh, his, his best position is, is playing further forward where he's, Maybe got a wee bit more time in the ball and a few more options in front of him. I think a few times he received the ball, he was back to goal today and he just didn't look entirely comfortable when he was a deep-line midfielder. Um, at the end of the day, not every player is Callum McGregor, so we're, we're so lucky that we that we have him. Um, for me, the whole Arrayway to six thing just isn't, it's just not for me personally. Uh, and I thought today, I thought today he was he was poor. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't disagree with it. And I think, I'm a big fan. I, I think he is good in the six. I, I don't know what Ange sees in him long term, if he sees him as a, a more advanced midfielder or if he thinks actually, even when McGregor's back in, he might spell him in and out there. I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's true that today was far from his best for Celtic. But he can put that down to maybe a bit of fatigue, you know, a hotbed atmosphere, whatever you want to call it. And, and again, to give him the benefit of the doubt, he is still just twenty-one years of age, and it's it's easy to forget that. What? Listen, I'm 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 not I'm not really bashing here. He just a, a relatively poor game today by his standards. Today was a type of game though that was ebbing and flowing. It was end to end. You know, we didn't have a lot of control in the game. That that's the type of game which, based on Matt Riley's skill set as a footballer, will tend to pass him by because he's not getting his foot in the ball. He's not getting the time to look up. Hence, why I highlighted Rio Hatati out of everyone on the pitch today who did seem to be that player that could get the ball in and, and go on the half turn. You know, no, no one else seemed seemed to be able to do it. Um, and really, for me, is just better served further forward. I, I like him always playing a sort of Rogic role. Um, where he's able to, able to link a play and, and get in the opposition box. But listen, um, it can't be too long before either Abelgaard, um, McCarthy or Gucci's time to come in and, and actually play in that six role because I, I don't feel I don't feel we're doing a really justice by continually playing on there. Yeah. I think uh, Gucci got right involved in the celebrations for the winner, uh, which we'll get to in just a moment, but he was right in on top of Greg Taylor and he was delighted to be a part of that. So I think we're going to see more of him moving forward. We'll definitely see more of Abelgarden and we'll see how Ange mixes that up. The interesting thing is um despite being without the likes of Callum McGregor and Jota over the last few games, we've now clocked up, what is that, 14 goals in the last three games. So you're just shy of averaging five a game. It's not bad in their absence and, and long may that continue. Um, so let, let's get to that Moy chance. As I say, I honestly wasn't trying to skip it, if it was just my, my order of my notes was a wee bit messed up there. But yeah, listen, I think generally he's a good for performance. I mentioned how technically gifted he clearly is and, and him and Hitati link up well on that basis. But that miss, geez. Real credit to Maeda as well, just for flicking onto him, flicking into his path. Was it was it Hatati that's put it across in the first place? I think. I, th I think it was. I think it was Hatati and into Maeda. Lovely flick. And you're thinking the two bold men combining, you know, what a beautiful <laughs> moment. But uh, unfortunately, Moyes went with the left peg as well. I know he's a right footer, but he's went with the left yeah. peg and, and he has drilled it a yard wide. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, listen. At that stage of the game, when you're two one down, eh, that that was at the point where eh, Mrs. Smith had to have a word with me because things were being <laughs> eh, actively kicked around the, the living room. So I I kind of lost the plot a wee bit of that just because we don't know when the next chance has got to come along, and uh, I think it was just that type of game. It seemed to uh, it seemed to bring it worse me to date, you know. Mm. It was a big miss. Uh, in the game but the good thing is he didn't shy away from it afterwards and he's played his part in kind of two or three goals you know it depends how you want to look at it but he certainly had his impact beyond that and it's easy sometimes to get into your shell and that kind of atmosphere and he could do with a goal I mentioned it in the pre-match to James and yourself that I think a goal for him and Haksabanovic would just lift a wee bit of weight off them but there's no doubt he should be burying that but you know, the positive thing is he didn't let it get too many. He kept cracking on. Um, so to move forward, Muff, <coughs> excuse me, another Hearts penalty, um, this time on the 65th minute. 
Walsh makes a decision himself without the need for VAR. I presume VAR then backed it up. But again, for me, like the Carter Vickers one, I don't have huge complaints about it. Initially, I didn't think it was the moment I seen the replay. Jens has taken Devlin out, hasn't he? Yes. Still more. Yeah. So it's the right decision. Then there's a wee bit of confusion um, in terms of the penalty and how it was eventually converted. So uh, Shanklin steps up to take it and Hart guesses right this time, but parries it back into the path where I think Shanklin eventually gets it to Ginelli who tucks it away. Cue mass confusion, you know, in terms of what's going on and, and why it was ultimately called off. I think the explanation was that there was encroachment into the box. You know, correct me if I'm wrong there in terms of what you picked up, but... I think Carter Vickers and Ginelli encroached and that allows for a retake. Is that the... Yes, encroachment, the encroachment, even though despite the fact that Carter Vickers was actually in front of Ginelli, Ginelli is actually inside the box, so it can be deemed that he's got an unfair advantage and, and had it been missed, had Jens or Carter Vickers got back to make the tackle on Ginelli, it would have been a case that um, the penalty would have been retaken anyway. Um, okay. Hopefully serving as a lesson to everyone in, in Scottish football, regardless of what team you play for, um, kind of Honor, honor the rules around penalties and stay outside the box and give yourself a yard before you run into the box. You know, can I make your run just as the, the, the kicker's taking it? But um, no, Stonewall penalty. Um, Cammy Devlin obviously staying on the park against Celtic rather than getting himself sent off against Rangers, so he's able to affect the game. Um, winning, winning two penalties by, you know, kind of getting himself in the box. And yeah, you know, despite Joe Hart make, making a, a decent save, un, unusual though. He, dive to your right and then put the ball back to your, your left. You know, it was quite, I don't know if you'd call it unlucky or maybe could have, could have pushed it pushed it uh, the other way. But mm. uh, for, the, for the resultant retaking penalty, I, I think you have to admit, Shanklin's shown a lot of composure uh, there and then, you know, he still stuck it in the, in the corner. I, I think Hearts, if, you, if you're being honest, Hearts showed a hell of a lot of heart and endeavour today. Um and they, they just wouldn't lie down. So even though we, we, we got ourselves back into the game, I, I still think they felt that there was still something in it for them. And with those conditions, crowd on your back, greasy conditions, just at times, at, at small points today, I thought Celtic's defending, bizarrely enough, in general was good. Mm-hmm. But you've still shipped three goals there, two of them being penalties. I just think there was those wee moments where we, we, we just get, get caught out. So... Um, no, Jens, I think it's for Jens and Carter Vickers, they're two, two penalties that, you know, we, we don't give away things like that very often. Um, but it just happened, happened twice in the one game today, you know, that I think it's just a bit of quirk. Yeah, and it can happen, as you know, fast fast environment, fast game, lots going on, uh, you know, pinball wizard in the box at times, reaction type stuff. It can happen in any game. Any player at any time can give away a penalty. It's a split-second thing. And I think over the piece, you're right, Carla Vickers and Jens have both had, they've had decent games. You know, they, they can certainly be happy with their afternoon's work. But in some big moments, they've they've just got it wrong momentarily and it's it's led to the penalties. Um, so, yeah, so obviously the, the referee has ultimately made the right call in terms of the retake. Shanklin tucks it away. You're then three each. Uh, Hearts, as you say, tails are up, 25 minutes to go. And, and there is a concern at that point that we're maybe going to drop points. Um, Ange then makes the big call. He makes a triple substitution. So 66 minutes just after their goal. Maeda, Forrest and Bernabe going off. Haks, Ivanovic, Abada and Taylor get on. Muff, for you, were they the right calls at the right time? Absolutely. I, th- I think there is the, the general feeling amongst the support that um, maybe Ange's changes are paint the numbers changes. You know, I change it at 60 minutes, 75 minutes and I, I swap a couple of wingers and I swap a centre mid. Um, however, the, the, the particular changes that he made today gave Celtic control in the match for the first time, really, I think, for the since the first 10 minutes. They meant that, um, in particular, Haksabanovic's running power with the ball just seemed to really spook hearts and, and cause them to drop a wee bit deeper. Um, his involvement, you know, I don't know how many touches he had for come on, but he just seemed to constantly be a threat. Mm-hmm. I would actually say the same about Abada as well. Abada just seemed to be popping up everywhere. He actually had a really good chance to, to, to seal it after after Greg Taylor's goal. And then there, there is the man himself, Greg Taylor, and, and I touch on the point that you mentioned earlier, you know, about how um, how involved Araguchi was in, in the celebrations, but I believe him and Greg Taylor drink in the same lodge in Cumnock. <laughs> Yosuke Araguchi and Greg Taylor drinking buddies. Yep. 
I did not know that. It's amazing the things you learn on this podcast. But yeah, let, let's talk about the main man, as you mentioned, Greg Taylor, GT3, uh, to give him his full nickname. So uh, he steps up to become the hero, scoring his very first league goal for Celtic in the 76th minute. And it, I suppose it's just a fascination of this way that Ange Postacoglu plays football, that you find your left back inside the six-yard box with less than 15 minutes to go to pop up and score what ultimately becomes the winner. Absolutely, but, but again, look look at the two goals. Look at the third and fourth goal Celtic have scored. Even even the second goal Celtic have scored, desire. In fact, even the first goal, all four goals are desire. Desire from, in the first instance, Forrest. Forrest inside the six-yard. Yeah. Jack Amakis has showed desire to get by three defenders to make, make a run to the ball. Maeda's beat, beat, given a Hearts player two yards and beat him to it. And Greg Taylor, the same the same Hearts player, may I add, as well, defending his back post. Greg Taylor has absolutely thrown himself for that ball to attack. You know, he's moving towards the goal and, and Celtic as a, as a team are just re- relentlessly pushing for, for the goal. Um, Taylor, I thought Taylor really um, added to that turning of the tide in, in the game, the, the, the kind of second half of the second half, if you want to call it that, where, where Celtic just seemed to have more of the ball and he himself was just more controlled in possession, whereas I thought Bernabeu was really erratic. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not turning around and, and, and slating Bernabe for his first time playing at Tyne Castle it's not an easy place to go it'll, it'll be all the better for the experience of having that kind of hostile atmosphere um, but Taylor's knowledge and now to the Scottish League and his ability to use the ball well I mean he did give it away a few times but, but in general I, th- I thought he used the ball really well able to find the likes of Hattati and Haxabanovic inside quite a lot to, to you know get the play out of our half and into Hearts' half um, I thought Haxabanovic coming on the left-hand side was a really, really good foil for him as well because, uh, like I say, Haxabanovic was heavily involved when he came on. So th- those those substitute substitutions were a huge factor in Celtic getting the goal. But Taylor's desire to get on the end of that, you know, bit of pinball around the box, probably a bit fortunate the fact that it's just landed in the six-yarder. But it's a Celtic player that's piling forward to try and get the ball in the net. Yeah. It's a really interesting point you make about all four goals. And, and obviously, you know, it's kind of dawned upon you just as you've been talking through that all four of them, you know, it's desire is, is the, the word of the day there. Just it's, it's individuals who have at different times in the game just decided that they're going to be the man. They're going to step up when Celtic need them and they're going to react quickest and they're going to give their everything to get that ball over the line. And I think all four of the goals, more or less, you know, they're all there or thereabouts in terms of the six yard box, which shows as a team we're doing something right as well to make sure the balls are continuously going into those dangerous areas. And lo and behold, we've got a number of guys, whether it's your centre forward and Jack Amakis or your left back and Greg Taylor, that can get on the end of that and and put the ball on the back of the net. To be honest, you know, the only surprise to me is the fact we're only charging four ninety nine for this analysis. It's an absolute bargain, Muff. I also just wanted to touch on on how much it meant to Taylor. He's a guy who's fully embraced what Andrew's doing here. I, I've been critical of him, you know, when he came in the door at first. I thought he was pretty limited. And to, to an extent, I stand by that in terms of what I was seeing at that time. But this you is a young I? guy. <laughs> Am I? And this is a young guy, though, who has clearly, he's clearly got a desire to make himself better. He wants to learn. He wants to improve as a footballer. And I think he's been such a revelation. Listen, if they were giving out the, the Player of the Year awards tomorrow, he would be well within the running. He's had such a, an impact so far in the season. And you see the expression on that young guy's face when he scores that goal. I, I thought the shirt was coming off. He didn't know where to go. You know, he was just he just got caught up in the moment. And it's just brilliant to see from a guy who's fully embraced Celtic and fully embraced what Angie's looking to do. Absolutely. Judge, judge a player's worth to a team by his teammate's reaction when he scores a goal. Dyson Maeda, Greg Taylor. Yeah. Not only did yeah. it mean the world to those players individually, you saw what it meant to their teammates. And I think that's a huge, huge factor in, you know, ev- ev- listen, every dressing room will have their favourites. Every dressing room will have their characters. You know you know that yourself, too. doesn't matter whether you're winning 5-0 every week and beat 5-0 every week. You'll have your players who, you know, you can rely on that will go and do a shift for you and whatever else it might be. I think over the course of time, Taylor has become that player, you know, almost that kind of anchor for Celtic, but you know he's got to give you a 7 or an 8 out of 10 every week. Um, now, admittedly, it didn't look like that was that was coming. Um, very, very hard to replace Kieran Tierney. Uh, you know, whatever people think of Kieran Tierney's exit for Celtic, what cannot be denied is that Kieran Tierney is an international class fullback. 
yeah. Greg Taylor was, was still very much untested, untried. Yes, he had made his debut for Scotland and Belgium. However, he was effectively the Kilmarnock left by, you know, Stevie Clark's sort of man type thing. He's then come in and over the course of time has, has just shown an absolute desire to get better at the game of football. We go back to those early days at Ange arriving. Ralston and Taylor obviously just bought in it immediately and made themselves better. I say that because clearly they trained way harder than anyone else because they're fitter than anyone else or were at that time, should I say. You know, that, that can't be an accident. It can't be an accident that they've embraced what Ange has had to say. They've got themselves fitter and then they've made themselves better. You know, Ralston's goal contributions is overall contribution to the squad. Taylor, the same. You know, we've got a genuine world-class coach here. He coaches players and makes them better. If anyone makes it to professional level, you know, even if it's in Scotland, you you might not think the SPL's the greatest level in the world. But if you've made it to the SPL and playing regularly, then you must have something about you. Because just think of the amount of kids that have been discarded along the way that have shown, you know, the same level of ability. So then it comes down to mentality and how you're willing to apply yourself. And those two guys have just done that, and but then they've taken it, and as Ange says, they've ran with it themselves. And it's a lesson to any kid, any Andy that plays football. Now, Greg Taylor, he's probably playing for the wrong team in Glasgow. Let's all be honest, we know that, right? But to show the attitude that he has, and for him to appreciate the opportunity that he's been given, I think it's an absolute lesson for any kid that's still kicking a ball. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think it's great to see. I think that's why fans can take to Taylor, can take to to Tony Ralston and anyone else who just gives her everything. These guys have got an opportunity that any one of us could only have dreamt about, you know, when you're a kid growing up and they're young men, they're early 20s and they've been given an opportunity to play for the biggest club in the country, you know, one of the biggest clubs going and at different times for the, the two of them, it maybe looked like the writing was on the wall and it wasn't going to happen for them at Celtic and they themselves have just turned around and said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to make this happen. They've obviously been ably supported by a, an extremely talented coach. But at the end of the day, as Anne said, it's them that's got to pick up the, the mantle and run with it and, and run with it they have. And, and I think that's why players and fans alike are just so delighted to see the ongoing progress uh, of Taylor and Ralston and, and no happier than uh, than today with the, the young guy getting the winner. So brilliant stuff from Greg Taylor and, and really pleased. Uh, what we'll do, Miff, we're obviously, this has become a, a super extended VAR-inspired, dramatic 4-3 post-match reaction, and it's ran a wee bit longer uh, than I thought it might have done. I'm going to ask you very quickly, um, just on, on one incident before we go to your final thoughts. It's obviously the, the last VAR involvement of the day, or at least I'd like to think VAR got involved, when Leah Labada has finished off uh, a very decent through ball by Haksavanovic. It's been a very tidy finish, but it's been called for offside. We're only getting one angle of that one, right? We get all the lines and different things in the in the first half when it came to, sorry, when it came to Shanklin's goal at the start of the second half, but up the other end of the park, the lines seemed to go walkabout and we didn't get that, the benefit of that. What was your, your take on it? I think there's a good chance it was onside, but we've been uh, very little replays. Again, both teams been refereed to a different standard. Um, you get the, the old day, uh, the old tomorrow's world 3D grid out for, uh, for the Hearts goal. And you get a you know groundsman mix blade of grass a line of grass for the, the Abada goal. So show us what you what you're reviewing it on. Show us it. You can't yeah. do that for one goal and not for the other. Now Abada's goal very by the time you drew the lines and his elbow being in a place and the fact that you know it might have been offside, fine, absolutely fine. Shows your weapons. Don't do it for one goal, not the other. Both teams yeah. been refereed to a different standard. Unacceptable. Yeah. I think you're right. You know, show us the lines. Let us see what you see and bring more transparency to the game here. And if the lines prove it and we can all see it and we go, oh, do you know what? Maybe his elbow was offside or his big toe was offside or whatever it was and you can accept that. But it's just this cloak and dagger secrecy that that one was just, I will just call that one off. We don't need to spend too much time on it. I don't know. It's fine because the whistle blows a couple of minutes afterwards and you're done and dusted. But I repeat my point. Now's the time to question these things while you're on top. So, as I'd mentioned now looking for your final thoughts, it's obviously been a long one. It's been a very involved show. Lots of great stuff and ultimately Celtic picking up a, a brilliant and very important three points. But looking for your final comments, maybe a general take on VAR and also who your man in the match was today. Hey, well, I told you I was in face the mood, you know. Hopefully I've managed to project that on the listeners. Yeah. Um, 
my thoughts on VAR, it will work if it's used correctly. Um, however, I don't feel it was applied correctly today, or, or certainly the the result for the viewer at home, or how the viewer at home felt, was that you weren't seeing the same thing for both teams. I think that's wrong. I don't, I don't care who the team is. I don't care who the team is. Um, who my man of the match was today, I would have to go for... I'd have to go for Rio Hattai. Oh, I thought you were going to give it to Moy there. Did you think about Moy? I didn't know. I no. didn't. <laughs> Can't argue. I also thought you might have given it to, to Greg Taylor for his... Well, that, that, was, that would have been my next one, but but I, again, I think I think um, it, it was a, an odd game today because even though maybe individuals were below par, you can't say any player in a Celtic jersey didn't scrap today. You know, including the likes of Burnaby and, and O'Reilly that I've said they, they put a shift in. They worked really really hard. Um, O'Reilly, you're judging his quality, not necessarily his work rate. So, you know, and likewise Bernabe because he's not finding the wing overlap and putting balls in the box you're then thinking well no but I just thought both of their use of the ball today wasn't at the standard they normally show um, Jack Amakis would maybe even be a runner for, for man of the match as well but probably less uh, he gave away a lot of niggly fouls stupid fouls at times I thought today albeit there were other fouls that I thought weren't fouls at all that get given against him but over the piece I just, I just thought Rio Hattai was, was outstanding today. he's just a very special footballer yeah, he is, and I, I can't argue with that. Matt, thanks for this one tonight. I know it's been a, a long show, lots and lots involved in it. You're a busy man at the best of times, but thanks for, for giving us the time to to share your, your experiences of today's uh, VAR-inspired game. So thanks for that, mate. Um, so Celtic extend the lead at the top of the Scottish Premiership after a dramatic but deserved win at Tynecastle this afternoon. It was a good day eventually for the boys, and we can now turn our attentions to Tuesday night's Champions League clash with Shakhtar the next at Celtic Park. We'll be back with a pre-match show for that one on the Celtic Exchange Plus. But in the meantime, from myself and Muff, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again very soon. Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.